Welcome to the Soul Sister Series, where you'll get thought-driven, inspiring topics for your soul with Vaughn Solis and Brenda Rachel. I want to welcome you to this uh, several-part series. And one of the reasons that Brenda and I uh, are doing this is because we both live on Vancouver Island, and uh, we are, in fact, blood sisters as well as soul sisters. And uh, from the moment we started living side by side, and we literally live side by side. <laughs> Brenda lives in the uh, condo building next door to us on Vancouver Island and central Vancouver Island. And um, in this series, when we first uh, came to the island and we sat on the beach, remember when we were sitting at Hypers? And yes. we would just get into these conversations, right, that they were like really like, Wow. We should have recorded that. Exactly, exactly. And uh, there's no end to us doing that. We're constantly going, we should have recorded that. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so once I started the podcast, Grief Talk podcast, uh, July 2022, uh, I decided to reserve um, a special part of it just to Soul Sisters uh, where we could come together and um, share with you uh, a whole bunch of stuff, not least uh, thought-led inspiring, um, practical uh, tips, wisdom, what we've learned. We're both uh, from the 50s decade. We are three years and eight months apart. And a lot of people say, who's older? I could let you guess, but I'm the baby sister. She is. She's my babe. And Brenda is the oldest of four children. We have a lot of fun together. But one of the reasons we also wanted to do this to share with you, um, leave a legacy for each other, yes. depending who goes first. And we always talk about that. Um, but it is to uh, understand that for people out there, if you are sisters and you have nothing in common and you might not even be speaking to your sister, okay, you might not even think you love your sister. And I guess this could apply to having a brother too. I'm not really sure, but right now we're focused on soul sisters. Um, and even if you do have a fantastic relationship with your sister, um, we're showing you how you can come from um, diversity, adversity, and completely different paths. And Brenda and I have actually ended up in a very similar spot in our lives in our uh, mid and late 60s. We are both authors, we're both angel healing practitioners, and um, we are definitely very committed to uh, a, a spiritually led life. So um, in all of these uh, series, we're going to be covering a whole range of topics, uh, not least coming from dysfunction, how uh, different things in our life, church, spiritual principles, our experiences, uh, both dysfunctional and uh, very positive, have led us to choose to have, would you say, like the best life we can live, right? Absolutely. I would say that the best life that I'm living is right now Yeah, that, I'm, that I've ever had. And um, not to spoil it, really, but, you know, I am a bereaved mom of uh, my daughter who, uh, who committed suicide in um, 2005. I will use the word committed. Because it is a fact, um, it is still a crime in Canada to take your life. So I'm going to call it like it is instead of skirt around the issue. And um, I do have a, a living son who's 31. 
Brenda, on the other hand, um, you well, you don't have kids. Nope, I don't have kids. And um, the other thing that we want to share with you as we move into these episodes is how different we are. We agree we're on the polar opposite opposite spectrum for being sisters. If anything, if I like something, she doesn't. If she likes something, I don't. Yeah. So basically, if we buy each other something, we have to do it. Do I hate it enough to give it to her? <laughs> Sure enough, <laughs> and almost I would say I would say ninety five percent. Yeah, we have different tastes. Yes, I yeah. agree. Yeah, I would. So it's, it's so what I'm trying to say is we're different in every single way, but we are soul sisters. <laughs> Let's get to it. So welcome to part one. So today, sis, I just really wanted to um, talk a little bit, but I, I mentioned that, you know, that, that we have both led a really, um, uh, a life uh, really committed to uh, a spiritual practice right. at whatever age it came uh, right. to us. It, for me, it was when I was 25. Mm -hmm. uh, and for you, well, what age would you say that you? Oh, at five. At five. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um so for me, I do remember, um, you know, sort of phrases like expanded consciousness. For me, it was like I could not longer, any longer sort of be imprisoned by just human mm -hmm. restrictions, thoughts, beliefs. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really understand it in that way at, the, at that moment. Mm -hmm. And um, so for me, quite frankly, it was when I was pregnant, um, that six months pregnant, for anybody out there who's um, going through this or has gone through it and it's really, really scary and you don't know if your child is going to make it, your your fetus is going to make it. And I had only gained four pounds. And um, that was so scary for me. And um, I went for an ultrasound and all this and, and, you know, she was okay and everything. But that's what led me to go to Unity mm -hmm. And I knew somebody who was going to Unity, her auntie on the other side, who's also passed now. But um, but she was, you know, June was a, a huge presence in the Unity Church and quite a presence in our life, too. Yes, she was. And she passed in 2017. And so anyway, she introduced me to Unity mm -hmm. in Vancouver. And I remember sitting in that service, bawling my eyes out, because I think just... I have no other way to say it, but I think God was just within me and just comforting me and letting me know everything was going to be okay because it was a very difficult time in my life. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I was actually separating from her dad and um, it was a very lonely and a very scary time. And I had to leave Vancouver and all those things were going on for me at that time. So it was a very comforting presence. And I don't know, I'll ask you your moment, but so for me, when we sob like that, if you're ever in, if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you sob your guts out because you have had a moment of truth, for me, that was an awakening. It, an awakening can be something else for you, but it's when you are really overtaken by an emotion because that's the only way we really can express ourselves, right? When these powerful transformations take place, and um. And how that leaves you. And it left me changed. And from there, you know, of course, I, I moved to Edmonton, went and lived with mom, had a wonderful baby girl three months later and all of that stuff. And um, I've never looked back. Mm -hmm. um, so what was it like for you? Okay, well, I 
uh, on the other hand, like we were raised in a Christian home and going to a Baptist church. And I embraced the church from the age of five. Mm-hmm. And I was always uh, doing something in the church. Like I taught Sunday school, I sang in the choir, and I uh, was in girls' uh, organization, CGIT, and Explorers, um, the other way around. And so always a youth group and things like that. So all throughout my adult life, there was never a point I wasn't going to some kind of church. That that evolved into going to a different different types of church as I as my consciousness expanded, without me knowing that it was expanding and that I was just choosing or being led to go to different churches. Like I went from a totally uh, uh, you know, a Baptist church with mm-hmm. very strict dogma to my next church was a non-denominational group of people that met in a hotel ballroom. Yeah. That So there was no church. So from a really young age then, you tapped into it mm-hmm. way earlier than me. I don't even remember being five, of course. But um, I do have a little story to share when I was like 12. And we lived in a small town, folks, about an hour from Vancouver in an area called the Fraser Valley, for those of you who are not familiar with uh, British Columbia. And so you remember Billy Graham, yes, the evangelist, Baptist minister. He came from a Southern Baptist ministry background. Oh, okay. So anyway, one day when I was 12 years old, right? So Billy Graham comes to this coliseum that we have in Chilliwack. And, you know, he, and I don't even ask me at, at 12 why I would have done that with a girlfriend. And I don't remember which friend I went with, but I did go and he's, you know, uh, you know, uh, did his sermon and so on. And then he called those who felt it wasn't that we were being baptized, but it was almost like for those of you who feel a calling to be of service to God, something like that. Mm-hmm. So I went up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I actually had Billy Graham touch me, annoying me, <laughs> whatever he did. And so what was really weird about that was as like, I'm a kid, I'm by myself, and I don't even remember if other kids were doing that, going up on stage. But if you really think about the courage it took yes, to do that in a big coliseum. Yes. Yes. And I didn't even know why. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know why. Yeah. But when I, when I think about it today, I, I think that that was my first real calling to my eventual purpose work Mm -hmm. that would be spiritual based. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what it would be, of course, and I had no idea. Mm -hmm. But I do believe, and I'm going to ask you about this, sis, Mm -hmm. if um, you believe that at various points in our life, we can touch, um, tap into our um, incarnation certain points of our incarnation, even though we don't understand what we're tapping into. Absolutely. Which I also believe is kind of deja vu. Yes, absolutely. I think any time for me that I've had a real uh, almost feeling of being propelled to do something, whether it's to read something or to go to a church or to attend a service or to take a course. I'm a courseaholic. I took many, many, many self-development courses, trying to always find what I could do to make myself a better person. Mm -hmm. And I think when you have that 
nudge, although it was never a nudge for me. Mm -hmm. It was always like just that kind of, just like you knew you had to go down to the center of the auditorium. Yeah. Coliseum and be there. Yeah. It's that's same kind of drive. Yeah. You're you just, just, you have to do it. You have to do it. Yeah. No rhyme or reason. Yeah. Just, just have to do Don't it. question it. Don't, don't sit there and go, well, what's this about? Or yeah. What am I, why am I doing? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Just go for it. Yeah. Okay. Also, I, I want to um, say it, uh, at, in my experience, another uh, thing that has stuck with me. So I just want to add to what you said. So it's that, it's that knowingness at various ages where you go, why did I do that? Whatever. But there's also, I think, I'm just going to ask you what you think about this. Those things that we do in our life that are memories, they are like memories ingrained on our soul almost. So the Billy Graham one is for sure. Mm -hmm. It's not that I think about it all the time, but it's very vivid for me. Mm -hmm. um, the impact of it. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I couldn't tell you what I was wearing or anything like that, but I can tell you the impact of, of you know, going on that stage. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that happened is um, fast forward uh, another um Let's see, I was 12, so 25, when I was 25, and I had to move. And so that back to that experience, like of going to Unity Church when I'm 25. So now Unity is like another huge thing in my life where it's impacting me, and I'm crying my eyes out in the whole service. And another huge um, connection, I think, mm -hmm. to what this incarnation was going to represent for me. And... Um, when I moved to Edmonton, the other thing that stuck with me is um, as I started this transition to expanding my consciousness about thought and just thinking things, I was reading the book Atlas Shrugged. And I'm not sure Anne Rand wrote, wrote that book. Hers, her, uh, her name's A-Y-N, Anne Rand. And um, again, I was looking it up yesterday because the impact of that book, even though today I was like, what was that about again? I can tell you that it really impacted me and gave me permission to think beyond my, you know, just my small little human, you know, mind by myself as an isolated individual in my experiences. And so I looked it up yesterday and I thought, what, what, did, what did Atlas Shrugs stand for? And I'll read it here because I actually uh, wrote it down and it said that Anne's philosophy was um, all about in objectivism and really understanding um, the fact that we have to discover reality for ourselves and learn how to exist and act successfully within that reality. Mm -hmm. She also had a philosophy about the mind to sort of paraphrase that uh, the mind is what we allow and choose it to be within that reality that we define for ourselves. And somehow, again, that just kind of was a light bulb uh, moment. And I loved that book and I've never read that book again, but that was all occurring as I was preparing to become a mother, for example. So in talking about this little segment, I just want to set it up as, um, as sisters. We both came from um, different experiences uh, but what I want to say is that at the core of it, and of course you can add to this if you want, at the core of it for me was there uh, this undercurrent of a spiritual connection. I wouldn't say a connection yet necessarily to my soul, but certainly a spiritual connection, even though I may not have understood it. And so I sort of framed it in church. 
um, a Christian uh, experience because we were raised Baptist until, you know, we quit going to church, which for me was pretty early. And Brenda was a, I would say, a remarkable leader. And I spent my donation money on candy before I got to my explorers meeting. <laughs> that tells you how different we might be. I remember that. What did you call that when you had to donate? But you had to bring your money anyway. Yeah. 10 bucks a buck, 50 cents, whatever it was at the time. Yeah. This would be in the like maybe late 60s. And I I always went to the store and bought candy. <laughs> I donated. Uh, it was a collection and one went in the collection. Yeah. Okay. So um, I want to talk a little bit about church. And um, and so moving it a, a little bit into this this thing I've coached as as the church because that's sort of the institution that allows us to feel spiritual. I mean, I'm just largely paraphrasing here, right? For for me, mm-hmm. um, but um, you were mentioning earlier how you know you started with the Baptist, then you went on to different um, churches. But what I would just want to sort of get at here is through your life. Church was important. Yes. What did church, I know you went to non-denominational, and as you went to church and as you got older, you, um, you know, your your consciousness expanded and expanded and expanded. But even from a really super young age, what did church, remembering that we came from a major dysfunction, which we'll talk about a little bit in in later uh, episodes. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what did church represent for you uh, in looking back, if if you can connect to that? Well, I think for me, it was like I I became a Christian and gave my life to Jesus with my mom in the basement of our house, praying against her trunk of clothes that were a huge, large trunk in the basement. And I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And I think the principle for me so I understood at age five what I was doing and that I wanted to do this and I wanted to devote my life to walking as best as I could as I didn't don't really think I understood like being a Christian Mm -hmm. but I loved what Jesus stood for which was love Mm -hmm. and just that was like paramount for me I understood that so I just really felt that all things could be achieved if I carried this love in my heart that I felt Jesus had for me. Cool. So you you did that trunk praying thing, praying over the trunk with mom when you were like five. Well, yeah, at the trunk. Oh, yeah, not over the trunk, but yeah. Oh, okay, at the trunk. So yeah. Um, for some reason, I, I'm just gonna say mom had this blue. Yeah. Um, metal. Uh, trunk. It was like a, tra- a big traveling trunk. Yeah, you kept stored clothes in. Yeah, to you know when you changed them over from season to season, and her wedding dress was. On. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I think her wedding dress is in there. And by the way, I got married in her wedding dress. Yeah, I don't know what that trunk represented, but if you've ever watched an old movie, and they'll show you from a different era, like maybe the forties or something, mm-hmm. this trunk. And maybe what it really represented and, and was sort of symbolic of for me was mom, I think, carted that trunk with her, uh, certainly in certain years. Like she brought that to her marriage. And oh, yeah, yeah. That, that trunk, had, like, yeah. that was her trunk. That stayed in the house until I guess she left the house when she divorced yeah. dad. And I don't know yeah. what happened to her trunk then. Yeah. Really cool. Anyway, yeah. so church was a um, 
foundational piece in our home growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And actually, in looking kind of looking back at that, it sort of makes sense that it was. Mm -hmm. Our father actually came from a Mennonite background Mm -hmm. that he rejected Mm -hmm. and um, married our mom, who was the uh, least uh, typical of that type of culture. Right? Absolutely. So it was pretty interesting that she was this super liberal uh, person, artist, musician. She was gorgeous. And, And obviously the marriage did not last. It did not work. Because I believe kind of what's ingrained and instilled with us as children, I think there's a part of this that uh, part of that that never really goes away. Mm-hmm. And for Dad, that would have been rigid, strict, sinning. You know, was a big thing, right? Mm-hmm. Can't do this, can't do that, can't mm-hmm. can't wear makeup, can't drink, can't listen to music, can't dance. He came from that kind of environment, and Mom was all those things. Mm-hmm. And all I'm going to say is it added to the dysfunction at this point. That's all I'm going to say. So for me, the uh, unity had principles of, um, you know, peace, love, harmony, and, um, well, unity. Yeah. And um, so with these principles of peace, love, harmony, and unity, would you say that they have impacted, you know, you or formed part of your foundation? Oh, yes, absolutely. I think where I started to become much broader in my thinking from kind of the religious, uh, I'm going to say dogma that I was taught mm. because it's, it's strict. There's no, there's no forgiveness in, the, in what they teach. There's no deviating off the path. You're either a sinner or you're a good person. Wait, so are you and, talking here even Baptist? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, all, all Christian Fundamentally church. Baptist, uh, all Christian churches... Uh, well, I can't say all. I haven't gone to them all. Right. But any of them that, that follow a specific set of rules, and there were definitely rules, which in most Christian churches, it's the Ten Commandments. And uh, but, but within that, like as m- my sister said, as Juan said, you know, there was no dancing, no drinking, no, no movies. There were, we never went to a movie. The only movie in our whole, my whole life living at home, and I left at 17, was going and seeing Moses when Moses came out. And uh, I can even believe that we were allowed, we all went as a family to the theater. Um, and um, But anyways, fast forward, when I started to become uh, involved with non-denominational, uh, more spiritual um, churches, who that weren't even called churches. They were just groups. Uh, it led for um, interpretation mm-hmm. and that there was not just what the minister was saying behind the pulpit was what you lived by. You lived your principles by what one person with his interpretation was saying on Sunday morning. And for me, I started to embrace the... Uh, liberalism of having my own thought uh, of what I was being taught mm. and what felt right for me mm-hmm. and what didn't feel right for so, me. So, yeah. So would you say science of mind opened you up to that initially? Absolutely. Absolutely. But science of mind, it's it's uh, definitely a spiritual um, church. Yeah. But 
it's a different type of church in that we use the mind to create our healing uh, journeys and use the principles of what they call a spiritual mind treatment, uh, which is a five-step treatment process that it's all, you just walk yourself, very simple, um, to go through from what it is, the connectedness about that I'm connected with the oneness of God. There is only one God who I choose to call nature, spirit, whatever, whatever. There's lots of interpretations. So this was becoming more liberal now as to what I could reference as the um, divine that I chose to follow. I didn't need to call it just God. I could call it anything that I wanted. And we could all call it anything that we wanted that sat right with our soul. And so many, many times I referred to God as all kinds of different things, spirit, nature, the divine, oneness, etc. And so... But would you say that God, mm. um, like, if you're in a heartbeat, in just a real heartbeat, and you're going to do a prayer up, and and, yeah. and Brenda and I are not, like, um, fundamentally Christian or mm. religious here. What we're trying to talk about here is coming from that background. Mm. It instilled some type of foundation uh, structure, maybe, is a better word. And as we both went off and expanded our consciousness, but still choosing to have it within that sort of um, church-type experience, mm-hmm. whether you choose to meet in a community or a, a, a real church, mm-hmm. uh, it, that structure was very much instilled in us. Yes. As children. Yeah. And I followed that through. Like, in my life, I've been to um, like, like I said, all the kinds of non-denominational churches, but also I was married in the Anglican church and I attended the Anglican church faithfully for, I think, two years with my, um, ex-husband because we chose to get married in a particular church, uh, that was in the woods. And so we just wanted to really become familiar with the church that we were going to get married in. And, uh, I also went to the Unity Church. That was a church. And um, I went to uh, Anglican, the Anglican Church that was right near my office in downtown Vancouver. I would go there at lunch hour and just go and sit in the pews and just look at all the um, candle aubers they had at the front and just get some peace just sitting in a church pew when I needed some, some respite and stuff. And then on the other hand, I've just been like, as Juan was saying, just to meetings in people's homes for for different things. Yeah, yeah. But I think the community uh, of having another person, myself, and one other person, or, or many people can, you can call it a church if you want, if you wanted to get, you know, all with the rules of the church uh, that you're wanting to follow, or just having a nice spiritual meeting. So... I think at the time that I chose to leave, quote, unquote, at church, well, when I think about it, though, unity and also science of mind, like, we were, they were called churches. Yeah, for sure, they were called churches. You know. So I think the the interesting thing, I just wanted to point out that you were part, uh, belonged to a Baha'i community for a while, too. I did. And we're not going to go deep in the woods with any of this stuff, but what I am uh, seeing is that uh, from what I, I got from your book, uh, was that, you know, uh, it talk about being present and appreciating the beauty around us 
um, live life with compassion and kindness for, I'm going to say ourselves and each other for sure. But what's really interesting is when you, um, when you go, it's like what you're saying, like you choose to have a community that is, uh, that, that you can grow, uh, with as you yourself grow in your consciousness and, and even with your experiences, because sometimes tough experiences can definitely bring you that tough experiences that bring you to your knees can bring you to also church or a spiritual uh, life and practice. Yeah, absolutely. And um, absolutely. I would say going back to what we talked about a little bit ago about being pregnant with my daughter and uh, only gaining four pounds at six uh, months pregnant and being terrified. uh, I wasn't going to have this little babe. I would definitely say that was a kind of falling to my knees, not as much as when she took her life eventually, 22 years after she was born, but certainly uh, the the one thing that was like, I was going to be the best human and mom that I could be, mm-hmm. and I tied those two things together, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the overall theme is that um, basically, um, I love what you said, that when you originally found the place it was that allowed you to interpret the teachings yes for you for me yeah but these principles and nobody made me wrong for having my interpretation like it wasn't like you're a sinner because you're deviating from how you're being taught yeah you need to learn it this way oh yeah 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 and so I love that, having the freedom to interpret, but still guiding your life by what are very common principles mm-hmm. um, and practices amongst many mm-hmm. uh, denominations, if you will, yeah. or even non-denominational churches. Yeah. So all of that, just to say church has been really important for Brenda and I. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to move now a little bit to um, manifesting mm-hmm. and empowerment. Mm-hmm. And that moves nicely from the whole church thing and expanded consciousness because I took from unity the principles of, of unity in their entirety. Every time I went to uh, a Sunday, um, I don't want to call it sermon. They certainly weren't sermons, but they, they felt more like inspiring. Well, just a service. A service. I came away feeling very empowered. Mm-hmm. I never came away feeling I was wrong or, you know, I always came away going, ah, you know, it was just so inspiring for me. Yep. So um, manifesting became a huge part of that. Mm-hmm. I think I probably was in my 30s when I really, really took, you know, and did the manifesting uh, thing and looked at my relationship with money, just a whole bunch of, of things. I think I actually picked up A Course in Miracles, mm-hmm. the book. Yep. I actually spent several months, you know, sort of studying it. At the same time, I was doing some kind of course with Unity at the time. And I um, I would have been uh, late 30s, hitting 40 at that point. But here's the thing. Like, I think I really always was consciously manifesting from my mid-20s mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And um, setting intentions and so on. But my practice changed. Uh, I still do it to this day, mm-hmm. but here's you know here's the thing. I think that we can change our practice of how we intend mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, and what we bring into our life uh, based on our experiences, where we're at, you know, and the more cumulative you have, and you know, the more cumulative experiences you have, and the trust level you have, and the more, quite frankly, 
you see stuff working in your life. Mm -hmm. And Brenda and I both became angel healing practitioners, and we're going to be talking about that in later episodes. But as I moved away from just A Course in Miracles, and, you know, also, if you tithe, you will bring more into your life. I never bought that one. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, like service work, what you give out to the world, you get back tenfold. Mm -hmm. That's a a principle of, if not unity, it's it's certainly a principle I heard um, quite frequently. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I will say, because I uh, didn't really have a lot of money to tithe 10% of my mm-hmm. net, I always felt a little bit like, oh, well, maybe I won't quite get as much back financially in my life. You know, I could, I'll get back in tenfold mm-hmm. the exact items mm-hmm. or service I give out. Mm-hmm. And it took me quite a few years to break away from that consciousness. Mm-hmm. So I was aware of this exchange of energy, if you will, service, money, you get it back tenfold. That's sort of how I was raised on that. But at the same time, I was seeing results in my life Mm -hmm. and um, understanding that I was making the connection, I think, in my sort of mid-20s to, you know, the next phase of the manifesting part of it, maybe a decade later, Mm -hmm. that I was seeing results. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't a um, dedicated conscious practice, like when the angels came into my life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how was manifesting um, uh, powerful for you? Well, I'm just as you're speaking, I didn't have really any kind of um, uh, association with um, uh, manifesting. I did about the tithing and I never tithed. And uh, because I just wasn't in a financial position. And I actually kind of abhorred uh, that premise of needing people or or having people feel that they didn't deserve or wouldn't get if they didn't tithe. That's what I got from it. In other words, if you don't put in the in your envelope ten mm, percent of whatever, either weekly, or monthly, yeah. or however you choose to do it, then your life is going to be short by uh, not your how many years you live, but just things are going to be less available and won't come to you. If you know, well, I never, I just said, well, then I'll have to live like that because, and then I, I can't remember where I just totally disassociated with the tithing in my mind, having any correlation whatsoever with what I manifested. But here's a question for you. Mm-hmm. You studied for um, a while mm-hmm. to become a minister. Oh, yes. In the Science of Mind Church. Yes. And eventually had to give it up. And we'll yep. probably touch on that again in later episodes. But what was the, at that time that you were studying to be a minister yourself, mm-hmm. was it not that true that you um, recognized a church was a business? Yes. And so, yes, I'm just curious. In I don't want to attack science of mine or any church, but at that time, would would you, as a person who eventually would have gained your own church, mm-hmm. were they into tithing, like requesting uh, their congregation to tithe? Because ultimately, I believe, and this is a personal belief, no one attacked me for it, that tithing is really just a form of fundraising to keep your 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 basic administrative costs going right. and pay the salary of the minister. Because in some cases, ministers basically depend on the congregation 
uh, for financial support. Mm -hmm. When I chose not to be become a minister was through my illness. I was very, very ill and had to leave practitioner training class twice. But what I did understand at that time was all the politics in the church. Okay. Yeah. There was a lot of politicking and knew that the church was a business. It's just like anything else. They have to pay their costs, the building, etc. And I just decided that's not the route I wanted to go to be a to have a church. Yeah. Today, what do you think about manifesting? Nothing. Oh, okay. I don't think about it. But if you want something, do you consciously believe you can get it? Well, I just ask the angels. Oh, you just ask the angels. Okay. Yeah. Already. Well, I still consider it a bit of a manifestation process, even working with the angels. Mm -hmm. And even though we're not talking about angels today, guys, mm -hmm. um, we will talk about that. But it does change. You're right. It does change the approach to it because when you we ask the angels for something that you're also working yourself with your mind to trust that you're going to get it. I just know they're going to help me. So for me, manifesting still is uh, an important concept I teach in my coaching. Um, one, because not everybody works with angels and, you know, can send the order up and, you know, hey, I need this. Mm -hmm. And then just watch it, you know, sort of fall into your lap. Um, and if it doesn't play fall into your lap, um, I would say both you and I believe that... It wasn't meant to be, yeah. or it's not time. Right. So totally, um, totally. So that is a very so different. That, so I was just going to say, so that's totally for me. Yeah, different than manifesting right. as opposed to divine timing. Correct. Okay. Just so putting the order up, allowing these um, forces. Brenda and I, it's definitely angels. Um, for other people, it could just be the universe. You'll hear things like that. But if you're new. What I want to just get across here is that, again, I was just sort of bringing, tying this all together, raised in a church where there's a power and people are praying to the God, uh, you know, above to um, bring them to deliver various things. Exactly. And and also, I think in a traditional church, also, if the person didn't get it, then it was viewed by other members of the church. Well, they must have done something wrong yes. that they didn't get it. Or yeah, there's a there's a an automatic judgment ba based around what the person didn't get because a lot of congregants will know when somebody's struggling within the congregation and they'll just see their life go on and on and on and you know the same way or get worse or whatever and go well they mustn't be a very good Christian or they must have deserved it right deserved it something like that so Correct. key point to bear in mind mm -hmm. so in bringing the consciousness that we both have done in various ways and through various uh you know churches and you know practices but basically not that different to where you all of a sudden go wait a minute I'm I'm a spark of that force yes I'm a spark of source yeah and maybe I can and do deserve more I have met people literally recently who believe you can't ask God for anything. Oh my goodness. You can't ask God for anything. You just take what God doles out. Oh my goodness. Yeah, well, okay. So we don't believe in that. No. So we have progressed and come through um, our, our years in life, our experiences, our dedication to our spiritual practice in ways they're similar and ways they may be slightly different, but overall the understanding that 
you know, for me anyway, it's that we have the power within us mm -hmm. to create mm -hmm. what we want right. and deserve it. Exactly. And celebrate it. Right. Rather than hang on to all of these. In fact, I think undeservingness and judgment and all of that is tied very much up in all of our pains and struggles from the past, including right back to childhood. Okay, so moving on, I'm just going to uh, introduce the concept of trust here really quickly because we're going to be coming back to it. Okay. But I just want people to sort of understand trust is a huge part of of creating, mm -hmm. let's work with the word creating, mm -hmm. the life that we truly want to be living. Right. And I think it's fair to say you and I are both living the life we want to be living today. Exactly. And have been for a few years, for sure. Exactly. For sure, for sure. We both came to Vancouver Island uh, seven years ago. And so it will be, um, you know, um, 19, no. Um, 2016. 2016 that we came here mm -hmm. and um, have basically... I would say I'll just say lived a charmed life. Yes, I often tell people I just feel like I've I've lived best best life I've ever lived in my whole yeah whole years yeah. And I've had a lot of wonderful things in my life. And um, I was actually speaking with someone uh, the other day and and saying, you know, I haven't had to go to bed at night worrying about anything. And it's it doesn't mean I sleep better, but it just means I don't worry about anything. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I felt a little bit guilty saying that because this person was going through some struggles. And then I said, you know, well, wait a minute, I deserve this. So yay. And um, and that is another reason we are doing Soul Sisters is because we are examples of um, what we both, uh, uh, you know, practice and uh, teach and share with others in our various uh, ways. Uh, and it the life works for us and we and my entire family we're a very small family but my entire family um does live the same way and no one has any complaints and i'm owning that i'm owning the celebration of that and the success of that so one of the things that um i uh got for recently reading your book broken spirit awakened soul my journey of healing with the angels and um, as I did mention earlier, Brenda and I uh, have authored five books between us, uh, myself three and Brenda uh, two, and I'll have links to those uh, uh, books down below. Uh, and a lot of what we're talking about is, is in our respective books and, and how we teach and so on. But one of the things I got from your book, sis, is uh, when you say, um, and, and this does come from one of the steps, the step five of Science of Mind, the healing um, practice mm -hmm. the spiritual mind treatment yeah the spiritual mind treatment thank you mm -hmm. um is that the creator and i have to quote read this the creator does not require our input on how our desire is manifesting itself for us mm -hmm. and i totally love that mm -hmm. so so this speaks to trust mm -hmm. and i don't want to get too deep in it because as i said we're going to be revisiting this um but i did just want to quickly ask you mm -hmm. what you felt um, or what you have done over the years, because mm -hmm. I think trust is a learned discipline. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a learned discipline. Yes. Um, what would you say has been the one, maybe two things that you have um, really relied on to keep you coming back to trust when you get out of it? 
Uh, well, I think number one would be my connection to the angels. That's number one, is I totally trust that when something's out of sync, I immediately, and I'm really, really off balance, and I know immediately when I'm off balance, is I ask them to center me and to bring me back to that place where I just am going to be carried in their wings and know that I'm safe. It's all for me. It's usually a, something has happened to really rock my world that I don't feel safe in whatever capacity in that moment or or longer. Uh, with health issues, I still have ongoing health issues, trusting that they will be there to show me each step of the way. The doors will open, and I always, always ask them to open the doors for my next step. So for me, that uh, is sort of the, the key to trusting because I, I just believe. I just believe uh, with a, an absolute, unquivocable, um, there's no doubt. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind that I will be directed to whichever door I need to go through uh, that it will open. Mm. So, yeah. I guess for me, trust is more about, hmm, I think I just keep coming back to, um, I'm kind of like you. I've sort of reached the point where I don't really not trust. Mm. And, uh, but it has been a years long journey, people. I just want to say that it's not, it is something that we can have and that something can happen in our lives. Like for you, it's, you know, illness stuff, like, you know, health stuff. For me, um, well, it's actually health stuff too. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's whatever could come along and and show you that. See, it, yeah. But I think I'm way past that, and so I would think I don't really have any trust issues anymore. I'm like you. We we both just kind of put it out there, and um, I think we both just if I I'm speaking press, but that we both just accept that in that moment, that's the way that moment's supposed to go, mm. and that we know the moment's going to change, and or ho for however long that moment lasts, and that, you know, there's the, the saying, trust the process, because yeah. life is a process. So uh, to go from kind of being knocked off my rocker to getting back into stability, it's a process. And I always, always know there's a lesson of why I'm going through that. Nothing happens in my world for me to not learn something from that experience. Yeah. I think we'll have to come back to um, lessons because mm -hmm. we don't have enough time to kind yeah. of talk about that all today. Yeah. But I agree um, that um, there's a silver lining in every problem. That's how I look at things or every challenge. Yep. And certainly, if you can get your lesson, mm. you get to move on. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to close off this. Um, definitely, we're going to be closing off uh, this uh, uh, part one uh, today. And um, I did just want to um, share with you that one of the founding um, uh, principles, a fundamental principle that I live by is understanding that I am absolutely the creator of my experiences and that um, I can create what I desire in my life no matter what's happened. Yeah. And speaking as a bereaved mom, that's a pretty big statement. 
That's a pretty big statement for me. There might be other bereaved moms, parents out there that are way ahead of me. I'm 18 years into it. And um, when I lost uh, Janae in 2005, uh, everything was stripped from me. So one of the first things I had to do was go back to what is my foundation? Because the earth felt very shaky. I, I still remember walking and shaking, like, um, you know, being very unsteady on my feet uh, because the ground just did not feel like it could hold me. So that is, I just wanted to close on that note, is sort of what my founding fundamental principles are. And that is that what I just said, I have the power within me to create what I want in this life and I do own my experiences. Mm -hmm. So I just want to ask if you want to share on the on a closing note, um, if you have something that's a very fundamental belief that you have or practice or principle that you live by that has guided you for if not all of your life, probably all of your life, because it's our soul experience, right? Our soul is the incarnation, uh, but that is uh, has guided you and is continuing to guide you today. Well, I think that uh, for sure for me is I create my own reality. But within that is every thought I think creates something. Mm, I love that. So when I look at what's happening in my world, because it's just my world, it's nobody else's, this world belongs to me. So whatever's happening in my immediate world, I've created. But what? where did the creation start with? It started with my thoughts. Mm -hmm. So if I really take a moment to observe what got me to that place, uh, whether it's complete joy or peace or total off my rocker, what was I thinking? Huh? And... How can I change my thought in that moment? I recently, I'm going to close this off in just one second here, but I did recently have an interview with somebody mm -hmm. and um, we were talking about where did the thought come from? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'll leave you with that. Mm -hmm. So all things are thoughts. Mm -hmm. Thoughts bring us our creations. Thoughts bring us everything we want. But hey, where did the thought come from? Mm -hmm. Anyway, ready for a latte? I am. Love you, Tess. Love you, too. See you next time from... The Soul Sisters! <laughs>